0: A prelude? Uh, your name's in there for prelude. Good morning. Hope everybody's doing well this day. Good to see everyone. And uh, it's been a beautiful weekend so far. Let's have it hold on. Uh, if you take out your bulletins, a few announcements as we get started. As always, the tear off portion, please fill that out if you're a guest. Put it in the offering plate as it goes by. And anything you'd like to know about Mechanical Baptist Church, we'd love to follow up with you on that. Any questions or ways you can get more involved, we'd be delighted to share with you on that. And then on the other side, the yellow side, at the bottom is a place for prayer requests. Continue to put prayer requests in there, and we'd be glad to pray for you as we do on Tuesdays. On the back are opportunities for the week, and we have several, so if you would follow along, and I'll add some as we go forward here. Today, just real quick, right after... This service is going to be a very brief VBS meeting right over here, about 15, 20 minutes. It's not going to be a long one. We're just going to update some strategies to get more people to get involved in our VBS and how we're going to reach our community for that. So if you would like to come, everyone's welcome. If you have any interest in helping out VBS, just join us after church from about 12 to 12.15. 12, and then uh, tonight, I wanted to make mention at 5 o'clock, we have our encounter service. And then for our RAs, GAs, mission friends, and choirs, we are having uh, missionary Becky Corson visit with the children today. Is that right? She's, she's nodding over there, Sandra. And so she's a missionary, and she is out at the missionary learning center in Rockville right now. And do we know her? As do people already know her? This is so. That's why it was like. You didn't tell me anything more than that. Becky's going to be here, so make sure, parents, to get your kids out here to hear from Becky and uh, enjoy that time with the children tonight at 5 o'clock, RSGA's Mission Friends. And I'm making my way down there. It's on there. It's on there. It's on there, Tim. He's got it. Um, then uh, afterwards, uh, 6 o'clock, Ensemble and Youth, and then 6.30, Deacon's mm-hmm. Meeting. Where they meet, Tim. John Bryant Room, deacons meeting at 6.30, Handbells at 7. Uh, Monday, basketball 7 o'clock, and Thursday, volleyball at 7 o'clock, so come out for that. Always a good time. And then this Wednesday for our midweek Bible study, uh, we've got barbecue for dinner at 5.30, and then Awana's Connect groups, youth, as well as our quarterly business meeting, which meets here, right, Tim, in Sanctuary business meeting? sanctuary, we need 40. So he always tells me to remind you, 40 people need to come out. So then adult choir at 715. Uh, Long range planning team meets 630 on Thursday. And then we're doing some mission trip training. I will give you a quick update on our mission team. We're doing a fundraiser called the mustard seed fundraiser. I won't tell you too much more about that. But basically, it's starting with something very, very small. And it's going to be Uh, helping the team members to raise money for their trip so basically they're all starting with pennies and then they're going to try to turn those pennies into twenty dollar bills and prayer support for their trip so as we're going to start that next weekend so if you hear people talking about that just approach them and say do you have a mustard seed card and they will get that process started with you so very excited about the team that's going and uh, we do our training this weekend uh Finally, May 4th, 5th, and 6th is our family camping trip. We're going back to Holiday Lake, and all families are welcome, and we have the lodge for those non-tent people, and we have the group campsite for everyone else who's interested, and it's just $25 a person, $50 for a family, no matter how many show up. Unless you're family, you start to take advantage of that and bring like all kinds of extended uncles and relatives, but $50 a family, and we would love for you to join us May 4th, 5th, and six. Anything else? Everybody, look at your bulletins. Raise your hand if you have deacons meeting in there. So maybe there's only like 50%. I got, I got a pre run, I guess. All right. <laughs> Interesting. All right. And I'll just take this time. I'll Last last week, we I did a little thing where I had people raise their hand if they thought they were the nicest person in church. Tim, you weren't here for this, and I'm going to tell you this group. It was like people were raising their hands all over. It was fascinating. We have a very friendly bunch. Most people here think they're the nicest person in church. Yeah, that was very nice. (laughs) Anyway, I think that is all we have for welcome announcements. Linda.
1: Well, good morning. It is good to be back. Thank you all for your wonderful participation in the Easter program and attendance. I will say that that is a first for me in many, many performances and years of service in the music world. I have never missed a performance. But God was in the middle, and he took control, and I understand it all praised him, and that's what it's all about. So thank you. Also, quick announcement. There is no choir practice this Wednesday night. That's my fault. I told Jean to put it in the bulletin. That is because... There are six people from Mechanicsville Baptist Church, Judy Culver, Karen Rosser, Faye Tony, myself, Gary Stanback, and Ted Boshin, who are participating in a choral event. And I would like to invite you. Mark Hayes is a well-known composer. A lot of the uh, offertories and preludes I do are his. He also composes octavos. And he, we are going to be in a clinic with him on Saturday, April the 21st. There's a 108 voice choir that will be working with him all day and then performing six of his pieces that evening at Northside Baptist Church at seven o'clock. And I apologize for the late notice. I kept forgetting to get it to Jean in the um, touch tone. If you're available and would like to come, I think you will thoroughly enjoy it. Again, it's Mark Hayes. You can look him up online. Um, it, it's going to be pretty phenomenal, and there's going to Be 108 of us singing. I'm singing this time, not playing. It'll be a treat for me to be able to stand up and not have to play. So if you're free, please come. Admission is free. Um, You you don't have to dress up. I think that, you know, if you're working in the yard and you want to come, come on. Um, I think it might be crowded, so it might behoove you to get there early. Okay? Okay. Now, I don't know about you, but in this crazy world, we need Jesus even more than ever. Agree? Oh, my goodness. Agree? Yes, so we are going to sing, shine, Jesus, shine, fill this land with the Father's glory. Blaze, spirit, blaze, set our hearts on fire. I'd like you to sing instead of our hearts, set my heart on fire. As you sing this, flow river flow, flood the nations with grace and mercy, send forth your word, let there be light. But of course, we got to get up and hug and greet and say hello, shake hands. So while Dwight is playing softly, stand up, go greet your neighbors, tell them you love them and you're glad they're here. Praise the Lord. sing or not. Ready? Here we go. Ready? Wonderful that God can praise, even when I miss the words. God is good, and he loves you. Have a seat. Thank you.
0: And we're glad you're feeling better to be with us. So I know many have been praying for Linda, and we're glad to see you once again with us. I'll read from 1 John chapter 3 starting on verse 13 Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us. We ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but indeed in deed and truth. We will know this, and we will know by this, that we are of the truth, and will assure our heart before him. In whatever our heart condemns us, for God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, If our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the great truths That your word continues to bring to our hearts. We thank you for the love of Jesus. We thank you for the evidence of that love being manifested in us and how we love others in your name. God, we pray that for when we hear the good news of your salvation in Jesus Christ, that we respond in a way that brings you praise, and we respond in a way that uh, magnifies your name and extends this love to those in our church extends this love to those in our family extends this love to those in our community and that God you uh, take the love that which you give us and you give us a purpose to live this out through the whole world God we give you this hour this worship time we pray that everything we do would not be about ourselves but it would be about the name of Jesus. God, we pray your Holy Spirit would dwell in this place and that you would be the very center of our thoughts and our hearts and that you would be glorified in what we do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.
2: God is good. All the time. All the time. So we're going to stand and sing and bless his holy name. Please stand page 310. Blessed be the name.
0: About two pages in your hymnal to page 308, our responsive reading this day, The Glory of God. Try to keep with us on this. I'm worship leader. You all will do worshipers, and then women and men to- together read your individual parts. And let's give this to the glory of God. Sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious.
2: May his glorious name be praised forever. The whole earth is filled with his glory. I will speak of your glorious splendor and your wonderful works.
0: May you be praised, Lord, God of our Father Israel, from eternity to eternity.
2: Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the splendor and the majesty for everything in the heavens and on earth belongs to you.
0: I assure you, The one who believes in me will also do the works that I do, and he will do even greater works than these, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. In your hand are power and might, and it is in your hand to make great and to give strength to all.
2: Now therefore, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name.
0: May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience, with joy, giving thanks to the Father, who has enabled you to share in the saint's inheritance in the light.
2: Ephesians 3.12 says, In him, and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Please turn in your hymnals to page 509, and let's stand and sing together, My Faith Looks Up to Thee. standing for our offertory prayer.
3: Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, again we approach you with the time to pay back, give back, that which is yours. We should all be mindful as Paul sent the letter second missal to the Corinthians in the ninth chapter where it explains what our attitude and our thoughts should be as we provide to you back to you our tithes and our offerings these blessings we ask in the name of our savior Jesus Christ amen
4: Yeah. Let me say it like I should. You are ever faithful. You have been so good. In the worst I have to bear, in a world that's so unfair, I come.
5: Shall we pray? Eternal God, into your presence we bow, giving thanks for your word and for the power of your word to transform our lives. Thankful for every good and every perfect gift that comes from above. Praying for those who could not be with us today because of illness or recovery from illness asking that you bless our time in your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. Our scripture lesson this morning is found in a familiar passage, John chapter 3, verses 1 through 21, as we continue looking at Jesus after Easter. Of course, this is a uh, story from very early in the ministry of Jesus as recorded in the Gospel of John, but it has a great deal of information in it, and uh, is a good place for us to continue our look at Jesus post-Resurrection Sunday. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus answered and said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen and you do not receive our witness. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven, that is the Son of Man who is in heaven. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. In all the Gospels, no conversation is so carefully recorded in regard to content and detail as the one between our Lord and Nicodemus in John chapter 3. The reason for this thoroughness is obvious. Jesus was relating to Nicodemus the very essence of the good news. When conveying God's truth, our words must be clear and understandable and they must find their way into the hearts of people just as Jesus' words penetrated the heart of Nicodemus. Because Nicodemus is so clearly identified, it is possible to form a reasonably clear picture of his personality and of the purpose of his visit. As a man of the Pharisees, he belonged to the most deeply religious brotherhood in all of Judaism. As a ruler of the Jews, he sat on the supreme judicial body permitted by the Romans, the Sanhedrin, entrusted with the spiritual and moral leadership of the nation. As a teacher of Israel, he was a trained theologian concerned with the true understanding and the teaching of the revelation given by God. Since the account gives such prominence to the official groups in which Nicodemus held membership, the view is taken here that he came to visit Jesus not just as a private individual but as a representative of the Jewish religious establishment. It was only natural to investigate an unknown and untrained young man who has suddenly appeared as a popular public teacher who was attracting many adherents, particularly after his dramatic intervention into the affairs of the temple as recorded in the first part of John instead of before his crucifixion. Judaism permitted wide latitude in individual beliefs and practices, but it clearly could not condone a mass movement which seemed to threaten the very foundation of institutional religious life. This does not mean, however, that Nicodemus was necessarily hostile toward Jesus. For another view maintains that he came primarily out of personal concern and that this position is reinforced by the interest which Nicodemus shows in Jesus elsewhere. The two approaches are not incompatible. Since Nicodemus may have been picked for this specific assignment because he had manifested a particular sympathy for the cause espoused by Jesus. In any case, Jesus dealt with him both as a private individual and one who was deeply involved in his public leadership roles. Jesus' words were so explicit that everyone who has read them in the generations since Nicodemus have found them to be clear signs marking the way of eternal life. Nowhere else in Scripture is there a more concise, easily understood presentation of the new birth. And as with practically everything Jesus did across the beauty and symbolism of these words spoken to Nicodemus, there was a shadow and the shadow was of the cross. So let's take a look at this time that Jesus had with Nicodemus and that Nicodemus had with Jesus and see how it can bless our lives. First, we see the visitor who came calling on Jesus. Most often in the gospels, we find Jesus surrounded by ordinary people, the peasants, if you will. They did not have to take care lest certain people see them in the company of such a controversial person as Jesus. But Nicodemus was associated with the aristocracy of Jerusalem. Along with Nicodemus' social rank, the timing of his visit was also surprising. He visited Jesus after Passover week. The first Passover Jesus had attended since starting his public ministry. Following the cleansing of the temple, Jesus had remained in Jerusalem for a time, teaching and healing the people. His name had spread far and wide and multitudes clamored to hear him bring their sick and afflicted for healing. Doubtlessly, the Sanhedrin, the ruling body of the Jews, was seething with anger and hostility toward Jesus by now and they wanted the problem to go away. It started early in Jesus' ministry. The more people that Jesus attracted, the more the Sanhedrin grew to despise him. But because of his popularity with the people, their hands were tied, at least for the moment. It was in this setting that Nicodemus, a member of the Sanhedrin, came to Jesus. Now we know certain things about Nicodemus that we have learned from this incident and two others involving him that are recorded in the Scripture. Obviously, Nicodemus was wealthy. And wealth always draws attention, doesn't it? We can name wealthy people, can't we? Just think about it. You can name wealthy people. Not only maybe in your community, but you can name them on a national stage as well, right? So wealthy people would have been recognized. When Jesus died, John tells us that Nicodemus brought for Jesus' body in John chapter 19 verse 39 a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Only a wealthy person could have afforded that much. Also, Nicodemus was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were considered by the Jews to be the best people in the land. Even though as we read about them in the scripture and we see how they aggravated Jesus all throughout his ministry, we may have a different feel about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were well respected. There were never more than 6,000 of them. And they had become Pharisees by taking a pledge before three witnesses that they would spend all of their lives observing every detail of the scribal law. So for Nicodemus to be a member of such an august brotherhood and to wish to talk with Jesus at all was bewildering. John records that Nicodemus was a ruler of the Jews. This means, as we have already noted, that Nicodemus was a member of the Sanhedrin, the Supreme Court of the Jews, which had 70 members. Though its power had been limited under Roman rule, it still played an important role in the government and in the lives of the people. Specifically, the Sanhedrin had religious jurisdiction over every Jew in the world, not just in Palestine. And one of its duties was to examine and deal with anyone suspected of being a blasphemer, a false prophet, or a heretic. And again, it is remarkable that Nicodemus, being a member of this high ruling body, would dare to visit Jesus. And we know that their power had been limited somewhat by Rome because where did they have to send Jesus when they were ready to crucify him? They first had to send him to Pilate. Because Pilate was the Roman governor and Pilate sent him to Herod and Herod sent him back to Pilate. And finally the wheels started turning. But then we look at this encounter that Nicodemus had with Jesus. An encounter not so different than our encounter when we come to terms with our need of a Savior. John records that Nicodemus came to Jesus at night. We do not know for certain why Nicodemus chose to come at night. It may have been a cautious move on Nicodemus's part and he should not be condemned for this. He was a religious leader to whom many looked for spiritual guidance. Since he was an honest and straightforward man, he likely accepted his investigation of Jesus as a tremendous responsibility. He could not afford to enthusiastically endorse every prophet who came along without first investigating carefully. Nicodemus, in this encounter, seemed to be preoccupied with the art of the possible. He began by admitting that Jesus can do signs to which Jesus replied that it was far more crucial to determine whether or not Nicodemus can see the kingdom of God. We are all very much like Nicodemus, looking for signs, searching for answers to questions that we have and Jesus wanted to get to the heart of the matter with Nicodemus by saying these signs really do not matter unless they point you to me. These signs cannot save you. I can save you. There may have been another reason for his nighttime visit. Since Jesus was usually surrounded by great crowds of people during the day, Nicodemus may have come at night so they could be undisturbed. We can sense from the course of the conversation that Nicodemus was troubled. Even though he was an expert in the law of Moses, he was not satisfied with his religion. Something was missing. And something about the authority and manner of Jesus attracted him. You see, he was a religious man, but he was not a man of faith. If we are to come to Jesus, we must come as a people of faith. Individually, personally, before him, in faith. Religion does not save. Jesus saves. Nicodemus' opening statement to Jesus revealed his honesty as we read in verse 2. Rabbi, we know you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you were doing if God were not with him. No flattery was intended here. It was simply a positive statement expressing a conclusion that he had reached. There is also evidence that Nicodemus had not come to Jesus because of hearsay. It is more likely that he had heard Jesus teach and had seen him perform miracles. And I guarantee you that every person on the Sanhedrin knew what Jesus had done in cleansing the temple. Jesus did not rebuke Nicodemus as a Pharisee. Nor did he soften the requirements of the new birth for this respected and venerable leader of the Jews. Notice that Jesus accepted Nicodemus where he was and worked from that premise. We see in other places in the scripture when Jesus encounters Pharisees how he has to, if we can dare say, put them in their place. But he saw Nicodemus differently. He saw Nicodemus as one who was seeking the truth. Jesus laid down the same requirements for Nicodemus that he would have for the most openly recognizable sinner. He did not say, now Nicodemus, you are already a good man. You are sincere in what you believe and what you are trying to do. God will honor these good works you have performed. Just keep on doing them and God will bless you for it. Wouldn't that be easy if that were the cause and effect of a relationship in this world? The more good we do, the more good we could expect. But the world doesn't work that way, does it? And Jesus understood that because he understood that we all are in need of a Savior. And Paul tells us later, we are all sinners. If Jesus had said that, Nicodemus would have left with the same dissatisfaction and longing in his heart that he had when he came. For his good works obviously did not bring him contentment. Therefore plainly and to the point Jesus said, If you are not born again, Nicodemus, you will never see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus asked how any man can meet the requirement of being born again since one can hardly enter his mother's womb a second time. To this dilemma, Jesus reiterated that no one can enter the kingdom apart from a divine begetting of water and the spirit. The final query of Nicodemus characterized his attitude throughout the interview. You see, Nicodemus was trying to make earthly things heavenly things. We do that. We sometimes have no choice but to do that. It's our frame of reference. It's where we come from. You know, in and of itself, we are limited by the very language we speak, aren't we? So Nicodemus was trying to, if you will, split words with Jesus. A lesser man than Nicodemus would have been offended by Jesus' words. He would have considered them an insult to his intelligence thinking in worldly terms. Instead, Nicodemus pressed on, how can a man be born when he is old? I say that every morning when I get out of bed and my legs hurt. Then Jesus talked to him about two births, the physical and the spiritual. Obviously, to exist, one must be born of the flesh, but anything that is flesh grows old and dies. To be born of the Spirit, that is, of God, is to have a new kind of life existing simultaneously with the physical life. Then Jesus shifted the analogy to the wind of which one can see only the evidence. We feel the wind. And scientific knowledge has given us an understanding of where the wind may come from. But left to ourselves, we only can feel the wind. But then we see the revelation that makes this encounter all worthwhile. Nicodemus had listened to what Jesus said about the necessity of a new birth and about the Spirit and he was caught up in the wonder and glory of it. Perhaps half to himself and half to Jesus he asked, how can this be? Jesus masterfully turned to the Old Testament scriptures so familiar to Nicodemus and that's where we get our sermon title from. He told from the book of Numbers an account of God's judgment that fell on the disobedient Israelites something that Nicodemus would have known. Fiery, poisonous serpents invaded the camp and bit the people. God told Moses to make a serpent of brass and put it on a pole in the middle of the camp. He was instructed to tell those who had been bitten to look at it and they would be healed. We used to sing a song called Look and Live based on this passage of Scripture. The serpent was a despicable thing. It was a reminder of Satan because he appeared in the form of a snake to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Jesus explained to Nicodemus that he would be lifted up on an instrument of shame and he would be considered a cursed thing because of the cross. But because he was willing to submit to that shame, millions of people would be able to come to God because they could see. The key to God and eternal life could not be achieved by good works or by keeping rules and abiding by regulations. It only frustrated Nicodemus. It would be achieved by a hated and shameful cross upon which Jesus would become a sacrifice for sin for the whole human race. In effect, Jesus said to Nicodemus, If you will believe in me and believe that I have taken your sins upon myself, you will not perish. You will be saved and have eternal life. You will be assured of living forever with God. And he goes on to say that I did not come to condemn but to save. So much of the work of the Sanhedrin that Nicodemus had been a part of to this time and even after this time would be work of condemnation, wouldn't it? And Jesus made it clear. If you follow me, you'll see. Nicodemus basically exclaimed, I would like to become a Christian, but I do not understand it. Jesus said you can't understand the miraculous workings of the Holy Spirit when you can see and understand the wind, where it comes from and where it is going. Then you can understand the Spirit of God. But just as you can feel the wind, so you can experience the transforming presence of God in your life. Jesus was saying essentially to Nicodemus, allow the Spirit to lead. Don't depend on yourself and your own wisdom and knowledge. Depend on the Spirit to take you. The opening line of a poem expresses this wish. I wish that there were some wonderful place called the land of beginning again. Where all our mistakes and all our heartaches and all our poor selfish grief could be dropped like a shabby old coat at the door and never be put on again. One of the staples of life is that in moments of weakness or poor judgment we say and do wrong, hurtful things in marriages, in friendships, in work associations and other relationships our actions sometimes give offense or cause harm on purpose or maybe not. Or we may have sinned against the Lord and be at odds with our own conscience. Wouldn't it be fine if we could just start over? Turn back the clock, rewind the tape, erase the error, or however you like to think of it. It was David who fervently desired as he cried, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Is there a person anywhere who has not wished for this very thing a do-over? The good news of the gospel of Christ is like discovering a land of beginning again. And access to it is easily obtained. Jesus told Nicodemus, a Jewish leader who came to him, you must be born again. The new beginning Jesus offers is so thorough that he speaks of it as a new birth or a rebirth. Paul wrote about it to his Corinthian converts. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If washing away the ugly past and the water of baptism were not enough, He continues to renovate our hearts and souls as He walks with us along life's journey. If we stray, there is a path to return to God. Writing to His little children, John said, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He cleanses us from unrighteousness by giving pardoning grace to poor, humbled sinners who confess their sins before the Lord. Even at the Last Supper, Jesus knew Peter would fail a crucial trial that very night. He also knew that Peter would be restored and rehabilitated for useful service. Have you ever been on a trip and decided to take an alternate route? For years, as we've traveled to Janet's parents in Franklin, Tennessee, we have gone directly through the city of Knoxville, Tennessee on Route 40. We were told that to go around 6.40 really didn't gain you any time and sometimes it could be a difficult journey. Janet was asleep. There was no argument. I decided to go 6.40. (laughs) Just for fun. I hadn't been through there in years. Learned a lot. They built quite a few Chick-fil-A's along that path (laughs) since we've started that way. But I also encountered something else that I didn't intend to encounter on that little journey around Knoxville. Construction. And you know how frustrating construction can be when you're traveling. Particularly when the construction is occurring at the very exit you wanted to get off to get your Chick-fil-A. But isn't that life? We make turns, sometimes we shouldn't make. And sometimes in those turns we shouldn't make, we learn more than if we had gone the right way. And Jesus says to us, if you come to me, I can show you the way. God can use each of us if we by faith commit our lives to Him. We are made new in Him every day if we will trust Him to lead us. Nicodemus may not have left, in our estimation, a changed man here, but Nicodemus was a changed man because no one would spend the kind of money he spent to do for Jesus what he did in John chapter 19. Seventy-five pounds of myrrh and precious aloes. Jesus got to Nicodemus. And he took away the journey he was on and put him on a better journey. And showed him the way. And probably the most familiar passage of scripture in our lives as children and as we've grown, we can still recite today, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Shall we pray? Oh Lord, we are grateful for these words from your servant John, inspired by you showing us the way. We thank you for Nicodemus, for his curiosity, for his inquiry, for his investigation. For in your words, we find the same truth you gave to him in our lives. May we always, Father, look to you. To lead us and show us the way as we trust you. And if there be one here this morning, Father, who has never given their life to Jesus. I pray at this moment they will be open to the Spirit. And the Spirit might lead them to you. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Our invitation to faith and fellowship hymn is number 464, whiter than snow. The invitation is open to anyone who would receive Christ as Savior. Put your trust in Jesus, not in religion. Put your faith in Him. Will you stand as we sing? Thank you for your kind attention this morning as we worship together in the name of our Lord and Savior. It's good to be back with you. I was in the office all week, got back, you know, and came back on Monday, but haven't seen you all for two weeks, so I'm grateful that we could get together today. Let's bow for a closing prayer. Gracious Lord, as we depart on a day that you have given to us, we are assured that because Christ Jesus lived and died and rose again, that we have life through faith in him. Keep us, Father, ever mindful of this as we go out into the world in which we live and work. May we be your witnesses of this great truth. And may your grace and mercy and peace sustain us now and forever. In the name of Jesus, amen.